may be seated. <laughs> Good morning. Um, hey, we wanted to talk to you. My name is Q, by the way. This is Christina. And we wanted to talk to you about a cool event that's happening. Um, and we really have a heart here at Northwestern for seeing God move and work through different student initiatives. And so we want to invite you all to Unite For More. And Unite For More is just a cool event where we're gonna come together and worship our God and um, just rally around the idea of community and um, just togetherness and unity. And so um, we wanna invite you all out to worship with us. So the event is this Thursday, so tomorrow at six o'clock, um, and it'll be outside on the green, but if there's bad weather, we're gonna be in the stud. So I hope you guys can be there. Um, also, Justin gave me the opportunity as I'm a senior graduating, um, I've been your chapel assistant and I've had the, the privilege to put crazy social media posts and just like get to know all of you guys. Um, he asked me if there's like a parting words that I would tell you guys. Um, and when I asked the Lord, he put like two things on my heart that I just like want to share with you. Um, the first is as, as a freshman, I wish someone told me, um, do not let fear paralyze you. Um, and that not only comes to the time here, um, but to the time that when you graduate, um, I think a lot of times, I mean, like even like coming on stage, even leading things like, I mean, there's like fear that can often like paralyze you. Um, but not letting that fear paralyze you in any way and walking into the full faith that God is with you and you're not alone. Um, so maybe that's relevant to you right now. Maybe it's going to become more relevant. Um, but I say, like, do the scary things that the enemy tells you you cannot do um, because then you'll see God revealed in such a great glory um, and his power and love for you so intimately. Um, and then number two is dream big dreams because our God is the God of the impossible. Um, I think that has been kind of the theme of my life because I've been able to like push the boundaries and say like, no, like I believe God's gonna do something big because I have a God who's infinite. And so if you guys have dreams, like continue to dream those big dreams because they are from the Lord and God wants to show um, his power, his love and his strength in like such a powerful way in and through you and the way that you show up in this world. And so with that, I'll pray us out and um, we'll welcome Justin on stage. So would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for the privilege it is to attend this university, to worship you daily, God. We thank you that we're not persecuted right now. We thank you that we can walk in freedom on this campus and that we can freely share the gospel. Um, Jesus, I thank you for every one of my brothers and sisters here in this place. I thank you that you uniquely have a plan for them, that you wanna use them um, in such glorious ways. If today that they're doubting their worth or their value, may they be affirmed that they're a child of God and the love of God is upon them and nothing and no one can separate them from your love, God. Um, also in this time, I ask God for supernatural strength and peace about tests and finals coming up and those graduating, God, give us uh, peace and assurance that you are with us and that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Jesus, I thank you for Justin and the beautiful way that you've been able to use him on this campus, and may you continue to do so here. And as he shares the message, God, would you open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us, and may we put that into practice for your glory. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you, and in your powerful name I pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.
you so much, Q and Christina. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Love the excitement, enthusiasm. Um, whether it's your phone or an old caveman copy with actual pages made from trees and branches, turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit um, in that book, and we'll be moving around a little bit in some other areas of Scripture as well. Um, but when I was a kid, um, I used to, I did a lot of weird things when I was a child. I'm just going to go ahead and admit that. But one of the things that I did that um, I had no idea why I did that until a little bit later on in my life, God showed me um, kind of a, a picture of, of, of why I, I was doing that. And so uh, I, I did simply this. So if I couldn't sleep at night and I was uh, just, you know, laying, looking at the ceiling, and I couldn't fall asleep. I would flip on my light. I had one of those old-school desks, you know, that you'd have in elementary school that maybe you see, like, in the movies or museums, right? You actually open it up. You had, like, all your stuff inside. So I had a bunch of, like, art supplies and paper, and I loved, actually, uh, art. I loved drawing and all that stuff, and I would pull out a blank piece of paper. I'd grab a marker, and I would just make a bunch of random dots, on the uh, on the blank piece of paper, and then, because um, how many, uh, and then I, then what I would do, I would I would pick, I would just start connecting the dots at random. And how many of you guys um, have played connect the dots? Like you had that as a little kid, right? Um, how many of those? Sometimes, like when you look at it, you're like, I don't even need to connect the dots. I already know it's a dinosaur. Like, what's the point? This is dumb, right? So I got really bored of stuff like that really quickly. So I made my own connect the dots, and then I would start connecting the dots at random until I saw a picture of something form. So sometimes maybe it was like uh, a dinosaur, all right? And I'm like, okay, this looks like a triceratops. And then I try to connect the rest of the dots, just using the dots to make it as look as closely as I could as a triceratops. Or maybe it was a fighter jet. Maybe it was a superhero. Maybe it was my dog. Maybe it was whatever, you know, or made up, made up creature, something like that. And what God showed me a couple, a uh, number of years ago is that that is sometimes the way that he works in our lives, that sometimes we look at our life and we have a bunch of what seems random, maybe not connected dots, but then there's an event, there's a moment in time where something will happen and all of a sudden you'll see how those dots connect and you get a picture clearly, at least a more clear picture of what God is doing in your life. And what I want to do this morning is I was thinking through, praying about, okay, here's one of our last chapels. Um, I know that as I look out at each of you, I, I know there's a lot of things going on through uh, your, your, your heart and your mind. There's a lot of maybe questions. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of distraction. And I thought, in one of our last chapels that we'll have together for this year, for some of you, that you'll have ever as a student here, would there be some last words that would be lasting words that you can carry with you into this next season and chapter of life, whether that's just your home for the summer or here for the summer, or maybe you're transitioning out into a whole different chapter, and maybe you're leaving the country, maybe you're going to a different part, uh, maybe a, a different part of this country. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to give us some scriptural dots and connect them for us to help give a clearer picture of what I think is one of life's most important questions. It's a question that I have asked often and have been asked often. It's a question that probably is swirling around in your mind for many of you even right now here this morning. It's a question that we see asked all throughout Scripture, both in the Old and in the New Testament. 
And it's one that the person in the work of Jesus Christ actually gives us an answer to with crystal clarity. And the question is simply this. What is God's will for my life? Maybe more importantly, how can I know God's will for my life? I love uh, the words in Psalm 143.10. says this, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And a desire to know God's will is its basic, it's foundational to the Christian life. Uh, uh, just quick show of hands, quick poll, survey. How many of you have ever wondered that question before? How can I know God's will for my life, right? Okay, I'm here for some of you that you're feeling the pressure of that more maybe than ever as we're approaching the end of this year. Now, uh, as, a, as a follower of Christ, it should be our desire to want to know and to obey God's will for our life because um, as a new creature, as a new creation, a new creature in Christ, um, we have been given a new nature. And that nature is to want to know and to do God's will. And the ultimate example of this is Jesus, as we've said. If you want to know what perfect, a perfect life looks like, want to know what perfect theology looks like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And I love Jesus modeled this in his own life. John 5, 19, he says this. So Jesus said to them, to the crowds, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And Jesus ultimately in the garden in Luke twenty-two forty-two said, Not my will, but yours be done. So I know you're in 1 Thessalonians. Let me just give you a couple more things just to help frame this, this question, okay, that I think is important for us. One, uh, we read in, in Ephesians 5, 15, and 17, says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Just a couple observations. First, um, God has a will. Okay, we all know that, right? God has a will, which means he has a plan, he has a purpose, he has desires for your life. And on one hand, this is thrilling. On the other hand, this is sobering. Why is it thrilling? Well, we know because God cares for us, he has plans for us, uh, he wants to prosper us, he has a hope, he has a future. That means that no matter where you're at, even if you feel stuck right now, there's a way forward for you because God has a will for your life. But it's also sobering because we may not like what we hear always if we knew his will. In other words, it sometimes and will often come into conflict with the desires that we have that we're still facing that are of our flesh that are not in alignment with God's will. And it means that if we knew God's will, then we'd have to make some changes. But here's, here's the beautiful thing. It's encouraging to know that God has a will. And here's the thing. It's God's will for you to know God's will. It's God's will for you to know God's will. And sometimes we think like we're in the dark, that God's holding out, hiding out, keeping us in the dark, and, and he's hiding his will from us. But here's the thing. God is more willing, and I believe more eager, and more passionate about you knowing his will than we are than seeking it. But just for the content, for the, again, for our discussion uh, this morning, this is the brief time that, that we have, I want to just, just distinguish what are we talking about when we say God's will. There's a distinguishing uh, mark between his revealed will and his secret will. And it's simply this. These two aspects can re briefly be summed up. His revealed will, God's revealed will. Um, you have a Bible, hold it up. Maybe it's your phone. All right? All right, we're looking at it right now. We're reading it. This is God's revealed 
will for your life. All right, next, it's his secret will. Everyone throw up your hands and go, uh. Okay, okay. Um, I, I, I love that. I, when I asked my son, Bennett, hey, Bennett, uh, where, where's, your, uh, where's your stuffed puppy? He goes, uh. He's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it is. Um, sometimes, here's the thing, we have strong confidence here, all right? Um, but, but his secret will, we, we just don't always know. But here's the thing, the two work perfectly together, but there's a definite order by which we come to understand them. We need to know and seek to obey God's revealed will before he will entrust us with and make known to us his secret will or his sovereign will. All right, so here's the thing. What I want to do is I want to connect these scriptural dots. I want to give us four things that God makes abundantly clear for us in his revealed will in the scriptures that if we walk in these four things, it'll give us a picture and it'll posture us to receive uh, an answer to God's secret or sovereign will for our lives. So um, uh, how many of you, you open to 1 Thessalonians? You there? You there? Okay. Uh, look with me at chapter 4. At chapter 4. Paul says here, now I love even right before this, he offers a benediction, which is something that you do at, usually at the end, right? Um, how many have ever been uh, at a church on a Sunday morning, heard a preacher and say, and they say in closing, and then you kind of maybe lead in, like, oh, it's closing, and you want to hear what they're going to say, but then they just like keep going for another like 10, 15 minutes? Yeah. Okay, okay, I think they do that because Paul does it. So he says in chapter 4, finally then, brothers and sisters, but then he goes on for another two chapters, okay? So we're going to have like his two closing statements here is what we're gonna, really going to be looking at. So Paul says this, uh, God says this through Paul, 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 through 7. It says, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know that what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Here it is, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Let's get more clear than that. This is the will of God, your sanctification. He goes on to say that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles do who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because we know the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has called us not for impurity, but in, bless you, in holiness. Here's the first dot. Here's the first dot. God's will for your life is holiness. God's will for your life is holiness. Now we often make a dis we like to try to make a distinguish and sound really Christian when we say this. You know, God doesn't want us, his purpose for us isn't that we be happy, it's that we be holy. Yes. Amen. Now, what we mean by that sometimes we say whole, we say happiness, we it depends on how you define happiness. And what I want to what I want to kind of present to you is that happiness and holiness are not mutually exclusive in God's kingdom. In other words, the more holy you are, the more Christ-like you are, the more happy and the more fulfilled you will be. But sometimes we let the culture hijack the definitions, and then we try to avoid that. We try to over-spiritualize it. We're saying, well, no, no, it's not about happiness. It's about holiness. No, no, it's, it's, it's both. It's a both end. It's just like God's glory and our joy. They're not mutually exclusive. They work together. And so this idea of happiness and holiness work together. So holiness, really with this word that your, God's will for your life is sanctification or continued growth in Christ-likeness. 
Now remember I said this is a, this is a how-to message. I want to be, make this as practical as I can for us. Uh, if God's will for your life is holiness, here's how you cultivate holiness in your life. You cultivate holiness by being much in the Word of God. By being much in the Word of God. But here's the question. If God actually revealed His will for you, would you really obey it? Because we often approach this question with the posture of wanting to know first what God has to say, and then we'll decide if we like it and then obey it. But in God's kingdom, we need to pledge our obedience prior to His revelation in our lives. In other words, obedience to God's revealed will will illuminate His secret will. So if we lack obedience in one of these areas, so this in this case, holiness, and, and, and if we lack obedience in the areas that God has made clear, what it will do is it will cloud our discernment and it will open us up to deception. See, if I'm not walking faithfully what God has already clearly revealed in His Word, He will likely not reveal the answer to what is not clearly in it revealed in His Word. I remember when I was sitting in your, in your, uh, in your shoes, I was going to say, maybe not wearing shoes, in your seats, okay? Shoes and seats, hopefully you're all wearing shoes, okay? If you don't wear, if you're not wearing shoes, you don't get chapel credit. I'm just kidding. But, um, so, I remember sitting in your, in your seat uh, a decade and a half ago, and the person who was in charge of chapel and overseeing that spoke out from chapel, his name was Dean Paulson. He would always, always say, you know, I can't tell you what major you're supposed to have, who you're supposed to marry, what job you're supposed to take, where you're supposed to live after you graduate, and then you'd, you know, list all these different, like, big life questions, big life decisions. And then you'd go on, but what I can say is, and then he would talk about one of these things that was clearly revealed. And now we have to say, well, that's not helpful. It doesn't seem practical. But here's the thing. We so often put a disproportionate value on God's secret will and sovereign will over the questions that we want answered over the things that he's already revealed and made clear to us. So it's real simple. The will of God is found in the word of God. Don't expect a word from God if you're not in the word of God. And I love John 17, 17, Jesus prayed this, sanctify them, he's praying for his believers then and all throughout the generations that would follow, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Just real briefly, here's what the word of God says about itself. This is how you call, when you say being much in the word of God, all right, what I mean by that, you may say, Justin, I'm starting my, I'm starting the word right now because I have that New Testament uh, survey uh, final next week, or Old Testament survey final. I have to know all of the kings. I have to know their order. I have to know, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe the, what you're struggling right now is you're treating this book like a textbook, and you're going to it because you're trying to get answers for questions on tests that determine a grade. If you're thinking right now, um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not getting anything out of it. Um, I want to ask you to stop trying to get something out of it. Just be in it. In other words, treat opening the Word of God and reading the Word of God as a way that you spend time with God. In the same way, I don't sit down across the table from my wife and say, um, I don't really get much out of this. I'm going to think we're not going to, I'm going to go do something else. Okay? It's not going to go, that's not going to go super well for me, right? But well, what are you talking about? By saying, I'm not really getting anything out of it, may I suggest maybe the perspective that you have is you're just trying to get something from God more than you want God himself. And so that idea is just be in the word of God. I love it. You may want to write these things down. Here's what the word of God says about itself. When you're in the word of God, the word of God is a sword that pierces Hebrews 4.12. The, the word of God is a mirror that reveals James 1.23. The word of God is a seed that reproduces 1 Peter 1.23. 
Uh, uh, for, uh, uh, the word of God is milk that nourishes, 1 Peter 2.2. The word of God is a lamp that shines, Psalm 119.105. The word of God is a fire that consumes, Jeremiah 23.29. And the word of God is a hammer that shatters, Jeremiah 23.29. Let me tell you, when you come into, the, into contact with the word, you're coming into, the, into contact with the creator of, and the sustainer of your soul. Be in awe. And I, and, and I watch one just, just, just real briefly, too. Here are other things that, in, in the context of our holiness, first, in order for us to be holy, we need to be saved. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I am not under the assumption that just because you're sitting in this room and just because you're a student Northwestern means that you're born again. In other words, it, 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 have you recognized that God's created you for a relationship? Have you recognized that uh, with himself that your sin makes that impossible? And you recognize that there's nothing, that your sin is separating you from God, and that, there's, and that sins cannot be removed by your good deeds, by your good works, by your Bible knowledge, and that Jesus paid the price for your sin, and that anyone who uh, comes to him and repents and turns from their sin and turns to his Savior, an exchange is made, and they receive everlasting life that God calls an actual relationship with your creator that begins that moment and lasts for forever. And maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've been learning all about God but not knowing him personally. This could be the morning. This could be the chapel where you do that. But let me ask you this. For those of you like, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. I said that prayer. I know that, but I'm just... When was the last time you were in absolute awe over the fact that God saved you? Where would you be this morning if he had not done that? If he had not, while you were yet in your sin, demonstrated his love for you and died for you? Pray the prayer from Psalm 51 when David said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So in other words, it's God's in the context of being holy and his will for us, of being, his holiness, his, his will for us is to be spirit-filled. And Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's self-destruction. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every believer possesses the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit possess you? It's about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. When's the last time you said, Jesus, please fill me with the Holy Spirit and take control of every aspect of my life? I, say, I need to say that prayer every single hour of every day. It's God's will for you in the context of your holiness to share your faith. That you share your faith in both words and actions. That I love, I put it this way, worship is to God what evangelism is to man. When I worship, I declare the glory of Jesus to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's vertical. When I evangelize, I declare the glory of Jesus to others by the power of the Spirit. And then invite them to respond, to become worshipers of Jesus. That horizontal, the loving God, loving others. When's the last time we've shared your faith? It's in the context of our, of our holiness. It's, it's, uh, it's God's will for us to live surrendered. That Jesus in the garden, that we constantly say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And we see there, even in, in the context of that moment in Jesus' life, that he has said, Father, if there be any other way, that, that it, how can we say Jesus is the only way? Such a good question, Jesus asked it himself. Is there any other way than for me to go to the cross? But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And live a surrendered life. And in the context of our holiness, our growth in Christ-likeness, Last part of this, and we're going to go to the other three dots more briefly, is that it's God's will for you to suffer. That we will encounter pain, we will encounter persecution. One of the themes in 1 Thessalonians is he's addressing the sorrow that happens when beloved ones die, and the pain, and the grief. But then he says that we're going to have hope. 
He says when they received the word of God, they received it in much affliction as they were destined to. It says in 1 Timothy that anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. We're going to encounter pain. We're going to encounter hardship. God's will for us is to suffer well. Here's the second scriptural dot. God's will for your life. First one is God's will for your life is holiness. God's will for your life is joyfulness. Flip the page over to five, uh, chapter 5. And, uh, and again, here, here's kind of the final, the actual conclusion of Paul's uh, letter here. Um, he's listing off these different things. And here, here, here are three dots from which we can drink. Uh, uh, they are well for us to drink from. He says this, rejoice always. I want to say rejoice always. Rejoice always. In other words, God's will for your life is your joyfulness. And we can cultivate joyfulness by worshiping God. I said this before, but we sometimes place more worth on what we can get from God than on God himself. And often the question behind wanting to know God's will isn't that I want to know God more. It's that I want to know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. Am I supposed to take this job? Should I date this person? Should I break up with this person? Should I, should, should I change my major? Should I live at home again this summer? Should I fill in the blank? But to have an attitude to cultivate joyfulness, to worship by worshiping God, means that we seek His face, who He is, over His hand for what He gives. We seek the giver over the gift. That, that we have an attitude of joy no matter what our circumstance is because our joy is found in the person and the work of Christ. And since that's unchanging, our joy can be unchanging no matter what our circumstance is. The second one is this. He says prayer, or, or sorry, the third one, but in the second one on this list, he says rejoice always. And then he says this, pray without ceasing. Everyone say pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Okay, you're, you're getting there, okay? Pray without ceasing. God's will for your life is prayerfulness. Now, here's, 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 the, here's the principle. Cultivate um, uh, uh, prayerfulness. This is, real, this is profound. Ready for this? By praying. Uh, by praying, right? Not talking about prayer. Not listening to another sermon about prayer. Not, not, not uh, praying. Just by praying. Here's, 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 I want to give you something to do, okay? This is going to help you. This is so practical, so simple. Build prayer sidewalks along common footpaths in your life. In other words, take, look at your life, look at what you're already doing, look what you have before you today, this next week, and then build prayer into that. It's not only about having a separate side of time for prayer, yes, do that, please do that. That'll help you do this, which is you build prayer into everything else you're doing. Um, things that you're doing every day, you're eating, you're showering, most days I hope, um, you're brushing your teeth. Did you know that if you pray while you brush your teeth, if you brush your teeth two minutes a day, twice a day, that that's, that's, you'll pray for something for two hours every month? Uh, what about, what if you begin praying for, if you see the dentist, uh, that means by the time you see your dentist six, uh, uh, in six months, hopefully if you go, if you're doing that, maybe you're still under your parents' insurance and do that. Just take advantage of that, okay? Um, and you'd be praying for your dentist for 12 hours. Um, you could tell your dentist that. Maybe your dentist doesn't know the Lord. Maybe you collect a prayer request for, from your dentist. And say, I'm going to pray for you every time I brush my teeth. And six months later, I also hope I don't have any more cavities. Um, but I also hope that I see a work of God in your life. Okay? This is so practical. Build it into what you're doing. Your commute, your walk to class. Build prayer sidewalks along common footpaths. And here's the thing. Prayer is an expression um, of our dependence on God. And conversely, it's true. Our prayerlessness is our expression, of, our declaration of independence from God. So here's the thing. Prayer is not defined by our activity. It's defined by intimacy. It's walking in continual communion with God. And as 
Zach and uh, Ryan come back up. I want to give us the last stop, and then we're gonna, I'm going to invite us to do something together before we sing our, our concluding song. Here's the last scriptural dot, the fourth one. Paul says, rejoice always, pray without season. And here he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Here's the principle. We cultivate thankfulness by continually recognizing God's grace. Here's what thanksgiving does. According to Psalm 69, verse 30, it says that, that I magnify, I praise the name of the Lord in the song. We're going to do that in a moment. But I magnify him with thanksgiving. When you present, when you live, a th- when you have thankfulness in your heart, when you, when you are living thankfully and, that per- and, and expressing that gratitude, it'll magnify God to see so that you see God who, you tr- who he truly is. And it'll help you give a perspective to see your circumstances for, who, for, how, for how they truly are. In other words, we so often view God through our circumstances. Thankfulness switches it on its head and we view our circumstances from God's perspective. And so be thankful. And so here's the thing. You ever heard of the question, when there's, where the, when there's a will, there's a way? You heard that before? Now, it's, it's talking about maybe of a self-will. What we're talking about here is not a self-will, but, but, but truly being spirit-filled. When God wills something, he always provides a way for us to obey. And so I want us to see this picture. Here's the picture. If we look upward and reverence, we see God is holy. If we look downward, we respond with repentance and surrender to anything in our lives that is not in line with God's word, but also rejoice in worship because God has made us to know him. We can look inward, inward that the language of our hearts will be one of constant communion and prayer with God, not presenting a list of laundry list of our needs before God, but rather seeing our needs in all of our in light of who he is, and then delighting ourselves in him so that his desires and ours become one. And then we look outward, facing our circumstances with thanksgiving, because he who calls you is faithful. If you look at these four scriptural dots, really what they do is I think they paint for us a cross-centered, Christ-centered way of living. That if we live in these four motions, we can trust that God will make his secret sovereign will known to us in just the right time. And I want to invite you, would you stand with me? And I want to pray this benediction over you. Today, as we go into this next week, and then we're going to sing of our love, of our love for God. Here's the final, here's the benediction. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Pray for one another today, this week. Greet all brothers with a holy kiss or a holy handshake or hug or high five. Do that before you leave today. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all of the brothers. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that as Paul concluded this letter, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May your grace be be with us as we walk in obedience to your revealed will and trust you to reveal your secret sovereign will over the very situations and circumstances and decisions that we face. We love you and we want to sing to you and express that now. And I pray that you'd bless us and keep us as we go from here. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's sing as we close.